I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Marta Perez, who I love following on Instagram because she is a wealth of knowledge. She's an OBGYN and she has a wealth of knowledge about evidence-based information that has to do with women's health. And I find it so interesting. Um, she's a board certified OBGYN. She's an assistant professor of OBGYN at WashU School of Medicine in St. Louis. And I wanted to talk to her about all things mental health and pregnancy. The upside means living in gratitude, finding the positive in every experience, and helping other people do the same. You are now part of the movement. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Upside with Callie and Jeff. I feel like an obvious place to start is talking about trying to get pregnant. Absolutely. It's It can be stressful. It can be really hard. If you're being treated for any sort of a mental health condition and you're about to try and get pregnant, what are important conversations that you should be having? Is it with a psychiatrist? Is it with your general practitioner? Is it with your OB? Who do you open up to about that? So that's a great question. I'm going to preface this by saying, unfortunately, I have had patients who are given the wrong information Mm -hmm. by physicians regarding their um, whatever mental health care medication they might be on and the concept of pregnancy. I think that comes from people in mental women's health not getting the attention and the value it deserves in medical education and training and in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes from maybe some doctors who um, may not keep up with data. But I, that's just a quick preference. Most doctors are up to date and are going to be, I would go with the OB first because of that. But it's a great consideration because one is you're about to embark on something really big and different. The second thing is that there are tons of medications that are safe. We don't think they affect fertility. They're safe for pregnancy, which we're going to talk about later. I know extensively, but there are a few that we try to change or try to maybe not use as our first line and maybe try to replace it with a similar type of medication or one that might be better. A really good example of that is most types of medications that are SSRIs, um, which are the most commonly prescribed um, both antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication are extremely safe. But there's one particular one, Paxil, which does have some risk of fetal heart defects, it's really still very rare, less than 1%. But if possible, we'd like to change you to one of the other ones in the class if if you're on Paxil and see how you do on that as a preferential treatment. So that's kind of like an example of like changes we can make before pregnancy just to optimize everything for when you do get pregnant. You've said on your Instagram too, there's a lot, science takes time, right? And I feel like at least... From where I sit, it wasn't as common for doctors to say, yes, this is safe. You can do this. So is there research out now that wasn't available 10 years ago that makes doctors more confident about women taking medication during pregnancy? Yeah, you know, it's definitely frustrating both as an OB provider and for patients because a lot of times when medications are being trialed and when they're being tested, they're not studied in pregnant women. And there's a bunch of advocacy that's being done by like 
Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, which is a group of, you know, high risk OBs in their society and um, that advocate for the pharmaceutical companies to really include pregnant women in trials as long as there's adequate preliminary safety data that says this is likely safe and um, and then informed consent for volunteers of pregnant women. Because when that doesn't happen, we get a new medication. We have no idea what its effects are in pregnancy or breastfeeding. And then we have to kind of wait, right? We have to wait until someone says like, oh, I didn't know I was pregnant and I was on this, or Mm -hmm. I chose to continue this because it's so important for my health, even though we don't know what's happening in pregnancy, we think probably it was safe and it's really important for the health of the mother. So we keep them on it. And then we're able to look back retrospectively and say, oh, okay, of the thousand women that took this, these were the outcomes. It looks overall safe. We can tell women probably it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it just takes so long because they're not included in that initial. So we have to wait years right. and look back mm-hmm. after women have been on it to look at outcomes, which just takes a long, a lot longer than people think. Right. Um, but yes, there have been really big studies probably in the last 10 years, specifically with SSRI use, showing its safety, that the side effects are minimal. And what we forget to ignore is we're not just thinking about, and this is what women I really think they don't realize sometimes, is we're not just thinking about, okay, what are the effects on, a lot of women are thinking, what are the effects of this medicine on my baby? There could be a negative effect of this medicine on my baby. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking, what are the effects on my baby if I don't take this medicine? Right. Right? Which, like healthy oh my mothers gosh. Yes. are healthy, create healthy babies. And a mother who has uncontrolled mood disorder and mental health issues, that stress is psychological and it's physical. And there are higher rates of negative outcome there too. So there's a risk of not being on a medication that you need for your health. And that's true of mental health, true of physical health. I mean, Mm -hmm. women, for example, who have like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, they need their medication that keeps them in remission because having flares over and over in pregnancy is really risky to their pregnancy. And to some of the medications, are they, do they have some risk in pregnancy? Sure. Maybe they do, but they're lower than the risk of an uncontrolled disease. Right. Yeah. I think um, this is a good time to set, to reiterate why, if you're going into your OB's office or whatever, how important can you stress how important it is to be honest when you're meeting with a person that's going to help you get pregnant and, and be there during your pregnancy journey to be honest about where you are mentally, how critical is that information to you? It's so important because I can't read your mind. You know, it's like the being honest thing. It's not because like a doctor is a parental figure and they're going to get mad at you if you don't, you know, reveal something. It's more the fact that this is going to be something that bothers you and you're going to need answers about, and you deserve to have all of the right information and answers that make you feel empowered. So in order to get information, you really have to ask your doctor questions Mm -hmm. um, so that they know what your concerns are so that they know um, can help guide you to a decision that's right for you, et cetera. So it's more just, you'll live kind of without answers if you don't ask the questions. Do you feel like people, you see patients that suffer more than they need to because they feel like they can't or are embarrassed to open up to their doctors about what might be going on or their past or anything like that? Oh, I definitely think so. There's still a huge stigma with mental health in our 
society in our country, maybe especially among mothers. I wish women didn't feel that way because I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there definitely there's a stigma that holds women back. And it's usually not coming from the doctor's office or maybe from health professionals. It might be coming from you know, society, what their parents say about mental health, you know, just feel better. You're not depressed or, you know, things they read online or something like that. I mean, there's so many ideas of what it is to be a good mother. It's it's difficult for women. So I definitely think there isn't, there's stigma out there. And I hope that with more information, we fight and say, no, this is, this is normal. This is something that deserves just the same amount of care as physical ailments. My gynecologist doesn't deliver babies. I love her. I trust her. I've been with her forever. And I think there are some people that have said, okay, my doctor's not like that. Or my doctor said, I can't do this. Or my doctor, I broached the subject and they kind of blew me off or they didn't take me seriously or whatever. One of the first things I said to my gynecologist, when she gave me a list of OBs to, that she recommends, I'm like, okay, who is going to be comfortable talking to me about my anxiety, about my fears, about my stuff, because there could be an amazing doctor. I'm sure they're all amazing on this list, but I need someone that will openly talk to me about this. And I think it's important for people to know that if you don't click with a doctor or you feel like they're not really taking, you don't feel safe talking to them about this stuff, there are other doctors out there for you. And it doesn't have to be a one choice doctor. Exactly. And like the best, how do you even judge that? Like, it's actually very hard to, someone asked me that the other day, like, how do I get the best doctor? How do I ensure a certain quality of care? And my answer was, I don't actually know. Um, There's going to be a lot of, of course, there's going to be, you know, there's bad kind of everything. Doctors are human too. Like there's going to be doctors with greater skills or lesser skills. But in general, you know, that's the nature of medicine is you're placing your trust in someone. Mm -hmm. But the best doctor for you is someone that you can communicate well with, someone who you feel a therapeutic relationship, someone who you feel like you can trust and who you feel respected and valued by. And if you don't feel that way, you can absolutely find a doctor who does make you feel that way. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad doctor. It just means, you know, not every doctor has to be the right fit for you. Right. And different people have different communication styles. So different patients want to hear things different ways also. And that's totally fine. I know there's a lot of fear for women who are like, I'm scared to death to get pregnant because I'm scared that I'm going to have to go off my medication. I think that I have to, I'm convinced that I have to quit all medications because it's not healthy for the baby. Um, my viewpoint, I take Zoloft. I don't know <laughs> that I could do this pregnancy without it. And my, my OB said the same thing. She's like, I think it's healthier yeah. for you. I think it's healthier for the baby that you remain on medication throughout your pregnancy. Absolutely. What are some things if you decide, okay, my OB thinks maybe I should save my medication. I don't feel comfortable. So I'm just going to go off of it. What impacts could that have on the baby that might be, we haven't even thought about. So I would say there's not like, you know, one huge major risk, like, oh, if you suddenly go off, this is going to negatively affect the pregnancy in all these ways. We all live different lives. We all have different situations. Um, I've had patients who, you know, have been on Uh, medication for an episode of depression or anxiety that was really bad around a specific situation, Mm -hmm. the death of a family member at the same time as a job loss, things Mm -hmm. like that. And it was a few years ago and they feel comfortable trying to monitor their symptoms and come off and they do okay. That's totally fine. I will support that. 
or we have, or I have patients too, who, you know, they're, I don't tell people to come off, but they've either chosen for themselves to come off or they did it without asking anyone first because they thought it was unhealthy. And they're like, well, I'm already off, so I might as well see. And during pregnancy and off their medication, they realize, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm not doing well. I'm having a recurrence of my symptoms and I need to go back on medication and we start them right back up. So I really take an individualized approach Mm -hmm. to each person. I will say it is common what you kind of propose that a lot of women will read stuff online or make an assumption that they shouldn't be on their medication while they're pregnant, which is not a right assumption. And they'll come off by themselves even before consulting a healthcare So we can say on a banner, if you happen to get pregnant and you're taking medication, talk to your doctor first because it might be okay and there are options. Yeah. And if it's a medication we don't prefer in pregnancy, we can just change to one that is you know, that is going to have less risk and a similar benefit profile for you. But don't just immediately say, oh my gosh, I have a positive pregnancy test. I'm stopping my medication right now because there's no need to. I want to ask you how medication can impact the baby. But first we have to say thank you to two of our sponsors of today's show. If you were like me, finances can seem so overwhelming. I don't know a whole lot about them. I don't know when I'm making decisions about interest rates or credit cards or whatever, if I'm really making the best decision for me and for my finances, I really have no idea. I just kind of go in blind and hope that I am doing the right thing. Well, if you want to get a handle on your money, but you feel overwhelmed, don't stress. Download the Albert app. It's a personal finance app that helps you find a happy balance in your life and make the most of what you have. So it's like having a personal finance expert in the palm of your hand, ready to simplify your budgeting, saving and investing. And really this, they do it in a non-threatening way that's easy to understand. We signed up to have them help us manage our savings account. So they take money out of our checking account every month and put it into our savings and we don't even know. So it's a nice way for us to build our savings in a way that doesn't seem completely overwhelming. With Albert Genius, you always have access to real financial advisors through the app and you can message them anytime to ask any questions that you might have. Install Albert from the App Store or Google Play today to find your happy balance and get a bonus of up to $40 when you start an annual subscription to Albert Genius. Install Albert from the App Store or Google Play today to find your happy balance. I really don't care about being comfortable, said no one ever, especially this year. I know that I am on a quest in 2020 for comfort and a little bit of peace. What about you? Okay, so Jeff and I have Brooklyn and bedding. We have um, the duvet cover and we also have the Lux sheets. And we have told you for months how much we love them. Our bed is so comfortable and it is a great safe haven for us. But did you know the Brooklinen also makes loungewear and towels and they have over 50,000 five star reviews and counting. So if you don't believe Jeff and I believe those 50,000 five star reviews, now is the time to get comfortable and transform your home into a comfortable space 
right in time for the cold weather and the end of the year. Brooklinen is so confident in all of these products, in their sheets, in their comforters, their loungewear, their towels, that they all come with a lifetime warranty. So what do you have to lose? Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use the promo code UPSIDE at brooklinen.com. That's 10% off your first order plus free shipping when you use promo code UPSIDE at B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. How can medication impact the baby? I know that's a big concern um, is if you are take if you are medicated and you do need help through your pregnancy, what impacts might that have on your baby physically? Yeah, so that's a great question. So you can divide effects of just any medication in pregnancy into like two um, umbrellas. One is, um, de- like uh, defects in development. So the parts of the human fetus are developed mostly in the first trimester and early second trimester, except for a few organ systems that continue to develop, you know, throughout the third trimester, like lungs, and then the parts that develop throughout like a lifetime, like nervous system, most things are formed in terms of like hands, feet, like parts of the eyeball, parts of the heart are mostly formed in their completion by the mid second trimester. So you're not going to cause your baby to lose a limb by doing something X, Y, or Z in the third trimester. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's the birth defect is kind of one thing. But then another thing is like habituation or things like for example, fetal alcohol syndrome. So we don't particularly know when which parts of fetal alcohol syndrome have what effect. And the major effect is intellectual disability. Um, So that can kind of happen because the nervous system develops and development of intellectual disability throughout the trimesters. So specifically talking about the risks of most antidepressant medication, again, most of the SSRI class are very rare. There aren't associated physical manifestations or birth defects Mm -hmm. with the one exception of Paxil. And it's, again, it's not everyone who takes Paxil has something wrong with their baby's heart. It's a minority. Mm -hmm. However, it's just a little bit more than the women who are on nothing. So we'd prefer to change to another one. But besides Paxil, really there aren't birth defects associated with other SSRIs. What can sometimes be associated is a little bit of what we call neonatal withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, scary word like withdrawal. It makes you think like withdrawal from a serious drug or something, but really it's not that severe. It lasts about two to three days. It's a little bit of jitteriness, maybe a little bit increased crying or poor feeding, but it's days, not weeks, not months. They have studied this. They show safety and a lack of, you know, there's no difference in milestones. There's no difference in all of that stuff. It's just a few days. And again, that doesn't happen to most women. To most women, it's and babies, it does not happen, but it is just like a small risk. And that very small risk that doesn't affect your baby more than the second or third day compared to stress of mental illness, which can cause preterm birth, growth restriction, or low birth weight. Um, those are much bigger problems than having a little um, SSRI neonatal withdrawals in the first few days. And that even is rare. What did you say about low birth weight and preterm labor as it associate? Can we rewind on that really quick? Like what did you. So of, of mood disorder 
and mental health disorders that are untreated in pregnancy. So compared to women who take treatment for their mental health conditions and the women who don't, the women who don't have higher risks of preterm birth and low birth weight, which is just a sign that like that stress is not just psychological. It's physical. Right. Interesting. I think we underestimate. We don't want you suffering. I mean, (laughs) one is those moms are suffering, but often moms aren't thinking about their own health. They're really focused on their baby's health. Now, I don't want, I treat the two people at once and I don't want moms to suffer, period. But some moms will, you know, do anything for the health of their child. So it's almost nice to have a data point saying, look, you are helping your baby by not suffering also. I love that because I feel like for so long, and I feel like this is a little antiquated and I feel like hopefully we're making changes that go against this, but there are so many people that think your baby's number one, which is a great idea. No, it's a huge pet peeve. It's a huge pet peeve. (laughs) Um, A mom is not just a vessel for a growing fetus. She is a person whose choices, whose health, et cetera, are important. And not just because they impact the fetus's health, but because she is a human being who deserves the highest level of care and not just a vessel for a growing fetus. Yeah. I feel like we're slowly getting away with that, but away from that, but I still know people that, and friends that have parents that are like, no, your baby comes first, no, your baby comes first. And and you feel almost this guilt of taking care of yourself when the reality is the best you is the best mom for your baby. I agree. There are small changes. And I think like more of a, you know, the way that your doctors have communicated to you about your medication and I communicate to my patients is a good sign. I think as more women enter, um, the field of OBGYN that helps as well. But I think that there are a lot of people outside healthcare who try to make rules and guidelines about women's health that is not in their place. And it's just from a desire to control women's bodies. Hopefully by us normalizing conversations about this kind of stuff, it becomes more intimidating for people like that to speak against it because now people are kind of finding their voice and with social media and all of that, we can say, Hey, honestly, here's my experience. And that's not how things are all the time for everybody. And I think this is a good place to have an honest conversation about breastfeeding and C-sections. And I can't tell you, I, I talked about, um, on my Instagram about choosing, uh, not choosing a C-section. I don't know what your definition of elective C-sections are, but I went into my doctor and pretty much said, look, here is why this scares the crap out of me. I would prefer a C-section. Can we talk about this? Can we talk this through? What do you think? And same with breastfeeding. I watch my friends and I'm sure that you have seen patients like this that will cry through breastfeeding. They hate it. It's awful for them. It's not easy. It's really emotionally taxing and they feel societal pressure to do it even when maybe it's triggering some anxiety, some depression, and it's hard. I have two big comments on that. The first one about elective C-sections is absolutely it's within your right and your body to elect for a C-section. What I always get to with my patients that I'm forming a relationship with who want to is I want to make sure they have the education. So, you know, I always ask kind of what are the fears? What are the, what's the history? And we just kind of get into it because sometimes you'll discover 
well, I'm scared of vaginal birth because my mom has always told me X, Y, and Z are terrible about vaginal birth and the only way C-section. And there may be a role for saying, well, that's not actually the case Mm -hmm. versus my patients who have, um, you know, there's just a variety. I have a lot of patients with a history of sexual assault Mm -hmm. who vaginal exams and the process of a vaginal birth is not something that is right for them. So as long as I do my role in educating and there's, and then they decide what's best for them. That is like the most important thing to me. So my, that's my, it applies to breastfeeding as well, empowering people to make the right decision to them. But another comment on breastfeeding, I have this opinion. It relates to a lot or this perspective, I guess I should say relates to a lot of things in motherhood. It also relates to a lot of things in kind of like the wellness space is that, okay. It is a fact that a healthier lifestyle will lead to health, like positive health outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. A healthy diet and exercise will lead to positive health outcomes for people. Does that mean that person will never get breast cancer in their life? No. Does it mean like overall women who breastfeed have some positive health outcomes and their babies have some positive health outcomes? Does that mean every woman has to breastfeed or every woman can breastfeed? No. But we take these little things that we use to population health, right? I work with a population that a lot of them have a historical negative association with breastfeeding due to slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of black women were made to let their own baby starve while they had to breastfeed white children. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they're given misinformation or there's a lack of support there. So we want to increase the breastfeeding in the black maternal population. It really does need to go up and it will result in good, better health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So we have public health messaging around breastfeeding. Does that mean that an individual woman is wrong or is doing something unhealthy or something wrong for her baby and herself if breastfeeding is not working out for them? No. So women who have more privilege sometimes take public health messaging about what we'd like the public to be able to do, you know, eat more vegetables, move more, Mm -hmm. you know, breastfeed if possible, wear sunscreen. And it gets so filtered down because we have, they do have access to all of those things that the level of expectation goes through the roof and a lot of self blame and shame happens if they can't live up to the most perfect type of wellness or health. When in reality, that's just not the way that health works either. Health is at an individual level as much as it's at a public level. So, At what point would you tell a patient of yours to kind of like be done with breastfeeding and say, if it's causing this much emotional stress and you're crying your way through every feeding and you're like, at what point would you say formula is okay? Yeah. So the first thing is evaluating what's going on, right? Because if the latch is completely wrong and we can work with a lactation consultant to get the baby's latch fixed, and then all of a sudden there's no pain anymore. Well, that changes the experience Mm -hmm. completely. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that there could there could be underlying issues there that we can fix. Some women with specific types of nipple abnormalities may find that using a brush uh, nipple shield works for them and their baby. There are some quick fixes. There's also, although it's less common in the first few days or weeks, there's also thrush. So we want to evaluate to make sure there's not an underlying cause that can be fixed for a cause of pain. But pain isn't the only reason women choose not to breastfeed. They choose not to breastfeed for a lot of different reasons that may cause the stressor 
discomfort, you know, um, besides just physical discomfort. Um, And so it's really about the mother baby pair. Is this working for both of you? And if it's not working for both of you and making you both feel happy and healthier, which doesn't mean it's easy, but means it's doable, then we need to think of, we need to let go of the guilt and just make both mom and baby really happy. And formula is not something that is unhealthy. It is perfectly healthy. And you can have a healthy baby and a healthy mom by exclusively formula feeding, by doing a little bit of both. There's so many more options than exclusively breastfeeding. Two topics that are starred on my list of things to talk to you about are postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. But we do have to take a short break to thank two of our partners who are making this show possible. I'll ask you about postpartum depression right after that. You have heard us talk about Liquid IV on the show for a couple of months now, but they also have a new line called the Energy Multiplier. So if you're someone that struggles to get through your day with energy and just feeling tired and you normally grab a um, energy drink, try the Energy Multiplier instead. It's 100 milligrams of clean caffeine and is the perfect coffee replacement and an all-natural alternative to processed energy drinks for a sustained energy boost throughout the day. Half of Americans, half, report that they struggle with daily fatigue. So you might want to check out that Energy Multiplier if that sounds like you. Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. They have donated 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off. Gotta love that discount, right? When you go to liquidiv.com and use the code UPSIDE when you check out, that is gonna give you 25% off of anything that you order when you use the promo code UPSIDE at liquidiv.com. I have been using an electric toothbrush since I was in high school. And the thing that I am so bad at when it comes to electric toothbrushes is replacing the heads. I always forget it's never at the top of my priority list and it just gets lost. So lost my brain that is. So by the time I actually think to get a replacement head, I need a new upgrade for a toothbrush because it's been like a year and I've been using the same toothbrush head. I don't know. It's a whole thing. That's one of the reasons I love Bruch. Bruch makes beautiful electric toothbrushes that are going to make your countertop look as pretty as your bathroom. And you can sign up for a refill subscription. So you get three replacement brushes shipped every six months for just 18 bucks. So the guesswork and the hard part for me about remembering to actually go out and buy new heads, that's off the table. You are going to love Bruce. Jeff and I have been using our Bruce toothbrushes for months and we love this product. You're going to love it too. Get 15% off your Bruce when you use promo code upside at Bruce.com. That is B-R-U-U-S-H.com promo code upside. And you're going to get 15% off your Bruce when you use that code. Okay. You're going to love it postpartum depression. And I would like to lump in three things here if you think it's appropriate. Postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, because I feel like that's something that I hadn't heard until recently. Um, cause everybody's like PPD, PPD, um, and something that I fall under the umbrella, but I think it's more helpful to kind of like include them all in like post like perinatal mental health and, and make sure we stress postpartum anxiety as much as we stress postpartum depression instead of kind of including them under the same umbrella, you know? Yes. And then someone also brought up to me post a couple people actually, and I had never heard this term before postpartum rage. What is 
postpartum anxiety and depression, how do you kind of recognize that in yourself versus just hormones? My way I go about counseling patients is I tell them that the most common quote unquote complication in the postpartum period is mood and mental health. So things like having postpartum preeclampsia, yes, it happens, but it's going to be much more common to have a mood or mental health disorder. So being aware of having your support people or partners aware of helping watch for mental health and mood disorder is really important because it's common. Mm-hmm. Then my next kind of piece of it is there are a lot of reasons for mood disturbance on either a mild, moderate, or severe level in the postpartum period. You have just radically changed everything about your life. Everything. You are no longer sleeping. Your relationship is different. Your social life is different, especially in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We can't have the level of support or social um, socialization that we're used to, um, or that we may have had outside of a pandemic. Um, you have a horm. your body is completely different, different even than pregnancy and definitely different. You don't go from being pregnant to just not pregnant. You have a whole different postpartum body. Mm-hmm. You are may or may not be suddenly breastfeeding, but no matter what you're caring for an infant 24 seven, and you have a whole hormonal, huge amounts of physical shifts in just the biochemical and hormonal system in your brain. So there's a lot of reasons to have mood disturbance. It's normal in those first few days with all of this, all of those things going on and the massive sleep deprivation. I think a lot of people, unless you have a really sleep depriving job or you've maybe had a newborn before, truly don't understand what it feels like to be completely sleep deprived mm-hmm. for days and weeks at a time. Maybe you pulled a few all nighters in college, but you were young then and then you slept the whole next day right. caught up quickly as opposed to continuous sleep deprivation over days and days and weeks. Um, it's normal to feel like an emotional roller coaster, to be teary, to have a little annoyance or anger, also to be thrilled and happy. But what we call the baby blues is kind of having that emotional roller coaster for a few days or a week. By the time we get to about two to three weeks, you should start feeling more like yourself than not yourself. And some women kind of might experience postpartum depression or anxiety right away. For some people, it really creeps up on them later. They felt great the first two or three months and it creeps up later. So I'm going to describe the symptoms, but mm-hmm. um, it's just something to watch out for because it can happen whenever. Um, but I tell women overall, it's going to be normal to have a whole change to your life. You're not going to feel like exactly the same person you were before, but you should still feel like mostly the same person you were before. And if you're feeling, we think sometimes in society, we think about, and this isn't a fair view of depression, but we tend to think about people who are depressed as, you know, they're kind of like in a blue shadow, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, they want to stay in bed. Their appetite's not the same. They are sad, but that's not what depression is really like, but it's very different than what postpartum depression is like, because you're getting out of bed to take care of the baby, or you're spending a lot of time in bed because you're breastfeeding and caring for the baby, et cetera, and in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. And you may not feel sad all the time. You may feel happy. Instead of sad, you might feel angry or annoyed all the time, or you might feel some sort of shame or guilt all the time. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So it's normal. I it's normal to feel differently, feel for, I like to give specific examples. It's okay to wonder, oh my gosh, am I doing this parenting thing right? Like, I hope I have this 
right. Like I hope I'm doing the right thing in terms of like feeding the baby or I hope I like have the baby dressed in the right clothes so it's not hot or warm. But if you have racing thoughts that won't go away about I'm a bad mother, I'm not doing the right thing. I'm not doing the right thing for my baby. I'm not good enough as a mother. No matter what I do, it's never be good enough. That is not normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal to have worries like what if something bad happens to my baby? What if my baby gets sick? What if something really terrible happens to my baby? What if there's a natural disaster in my house and it affects my baby? Something like that. Passing thoughts. But if they're keeping you from sleeping, from eating, from being able to function or leave the home or do something that normally you would do because your racing anxiety thoughts are all that controls you, that's not normal. So it sometimes can be hard for women to tell because they're like, my whole life changed. So this is the new me. I'll never experience the same joy or the same... um, like more carefree attitude that I may have had before it's my new life. The answer is, yeah, there will be some changes, but if you feel like your whole world has changed, not like 15% of those worries or something like that, then just come talk to your doctor about it. And we can talk together. like, are these symptoms, are these symptoms worrisome or are they not? Um, and kind of figure that out together. I hadn't thought before. I would have never thought to have a conversation with my husband or, you know, for any woman who is is pregnant to have a conversation with your partner about, Hey, here's what you can look out for. Cause I might not be thinking totally clearly. Yes. Half the time I have patients who come in they say, my partner made me call. My <laughs> yes. partner made me come in. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Your partner cares that much, but because so many moms, it's so, I mean, I don't want them to feel shame that they missed their own diagnosis, but it's just, it's hard to see outside your own perspective. When and there's a lot going on. It is. Yeah. There's so much to focus on and, um, there's so much different. It's hard to focus on. So already telling your partner, like, I know things are going to be different, but if I'm really a totally different person, then please push me to see my doctor or talk to a mental health care provider, whoever you want to see first. Your OB doctor always wants to hear about it. Even if it's after the weird insurance six weeks thing, that doesn't mean you're not postpartum just because you're more than six weeks. Like it just is an insurance thing, not a doctor patient relationship thing. So Mm -hmm. you schedule a visit or whether your first step is maybe your mental health care provider. Um, It just matters who you feel most comfortable with. Sometimes seeing a primary care provider that you may feel more comfortable going to them first, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just talk to somebody about it. Does postpartum depression or anxiety have a time limit? This is something that someone on my Instagram asked me and said they have like a two-year-old and they haven't felt the same mentally since their birth. Um, Is that something that's still considered postpartum or is that something, um, I guess she was wondering, like, is it possible that I left it untreated and it's still kind of lingering for me? Yeah. So there's no like time limit, right? There's not like hard and fast rules. I would say at this point, like it doesn't really matter what name or label you put on it, right? Like Mm -hmm. someone who, it doesn't matter if you call it postpartum depression or a major depressive disorder, we're going to treat it the same. Depression is depression, right? Anxiety is anxiety. (laughs) Exactly. Um, The reason postpartum exists as as a part of the term is because of the timing, because it is an increased risk. If you're just like a normal person in your, you know, thirties or whatever, and you can totally have episodes of major depressive disorder and be diagnosed with anxiety, whether that's new for you in your thirties or whether you've had it untreated since your twenties. But 
everyone is at an elevated risk of a mood disorder like depression or anxiety when they are postpartum. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're specifically super different. It's just that it helps us identify um, a elevated risk factor, something that's more common, it's more common to have mood disorders when you're postpartum because of all those changes we talked about. If you are seeing a therapist during your pregnancy, can that change the outcome of postpartum mental health issues or is it chemical and it's kind of whatever you get, you get, and it just happens? Both. I would say there's, as with many things, there's no hard and fast, like if you do this one thing, you will definitively prevent this other thing. Mm -hmm. But I will say that working with a mental health care provider, developing helpful coping mechanisms from the outset are things that are going to be protective in having a lower risk, not only having a lower risk of having maybe postpartum depression or anxiety, but being better, a, be, having a quicker diagnosis and therefore suffering for less time. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say it's incredibly helpful, though it's never like one of those like hard and fast, like if if I have a mental health care provider, I'll never experience postpartum depression right. or anxiety. It may be one of those things where it's like, well, cognitive behavioral therapy works for mental health. And like developing coping mechanisms helps people not suffer. So it's all about kind of maybe severity, recognition. It's mm -hmm. totally beneficial but I'm not saying that, no, there's no right. completely eliminate your risk that way. I would say it's just, it's really helpful. Is medication the only way out of postpartum anxiety and depression? Or are there some people that'll come to you and say, Hey, I feel totally not like myself. I hate this, but I really don't want to take medication. Would you send someone to a therapist or, you know, something like that? Or is the medication really the thing that will help you feel relief? It's both. You're going to get some benefit from, most women will get some benefit from medication and some benefit from mental health care techniques, but they'll get the most benefit from both. Yeah. So it's like cumulative. So I always recommend both. Um, and some women may choose to do one or the other to just see if they have incremental help. Like, well, maybe I can like Right now, you know, having access to mental health care isn't in my budget. It's, I don't have any mm -hmm. extra money. I'm Which, by the way, that just creates a rage in me that someone would yep. want help and not be able to get it because yep. it's not affordable. And it oh, just and I see it kills all the me. time. All the time. It kills me. All the time. Most women, I mean, 30, I have to refresh myself on this statistic, but something like 30% of women who give birth in the U.S have Medicaid as their insurance and they don't have access to any insurance at six weeks postpartum, it just stops. I so just even if Medicaid covered mental health care services, which they do or don't of varying quality, depending on where you are, you just have no insurance anymore at six weeks. Um, okay, last question. If you have postpartum depression with one pregnancy, are you going to have it with another or is it just kind of random? You're, you are at an increased risk um, due to having it before. Probably something about biology there plays a role, um, but it doesn't mean you will for certain. So it's when someone I care for has a history of postpartum depression or anxiety, um, I always warn them, you know, we're, let's be extra careful to make sure, check on your feeling, how you're feeling, et cetera. Some women may choose. I have a lot of women who say, you know, I got really bad postpartum depression. I didn't recognize it until a few months in. 
when I started medication and mental health care, I got a lot better. That was a few years ago. I ended up coming off my medicine two years ago and feeling fine. But this next time, I want that antidepressant when I leave the hospital after mm-hmm. I have my baby. And I'm like, that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, We're going to head this off. I'm like, that sounds wonderful. Um, so some women do that. Some women just kind of wait and see how they feel. Some women may be able to optimize or identify it better. But I will say you're at an increased risk, but it's definitely not a certainty. Got it. If you could tell women one thing about their mental health as it relates to them being a parent, what would you say? I would say your health, including your mental health matters, and you have to take care of yourself first. You can show up the best for the other people in your life, including your children, whether that be a future child or a present child. And I'll put your Instagram in the show notes. Um, If you don't follow Dr. Perez, I highly recommend it. There's so much good information um, that she has. Not even, I mean, she is an OB, but she also has, you know, just information for women on different things and periods and health and your stuff. Yeah. Your stuff. Contraception, breastfeeding. Yes. I have a huge amount of information on like VBAC. That's a very popular topic. I feel it's hard to get good information on sometimes. So yes. So go check out her Instagram. I will include it in the show notes. Um, thank you so much. You are just so awesome and I appreciate your knowledge so much and, um, what you do. And I hope that you (laughs) keep doing it because the internet needs it. We need, we need facts. We need information, um, from someone that is knee deep in all of this. Thank you for listening to The Upside with Callie and Jeff. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Most people learn about The Upside from their friends. Please tell everyone you know about this podcast so the amazing Upside community can continue to grow. And one last thing. We would love to stay in touch with you by text. Text the word UPSIDE to 800-434-5454 and then save it in your phone as Callie and Jeff.